Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to The Mentor, I'm Mark Boris. As a society, we rely too heavily on the linear economy. Yep, that's right, it's called the linear economy. That is take, make, use, dispose. It's really inefficient. You know, the idea that raw materials are collected then transformed into products that are used until they are discarded as waste makes no sense. Doesn't make sense for the planet and it doesn't make sense for business. It's just inefficient. But you have heard of the circular economy, haven't you? Maybe you haven't. Emphasize the word circular. That is creating products that are reusable and fixable. So designing out waste. Gumtree and Planet Arc have teamed up to help Aussie consumers join the circular economy. This is why I brought on Nicole Garofano. She is the head of circular economy development at Planet Arc. She is passionate about creating change in how we generate and manage resources. Nicole and I chat about why is the circular economy good for business? How can you make this part of your business? Because I think this is the future. How do you build products and design products that are going to be able to sell into the circular economy for the future? If you're a consumer, how do you make demands for vendors to supply circular economy style products, things that are reusable at another date? This is a really great discussion. It's important. It's the future. So let's get into it. Nicole Garofano, welcome to The Mentor. Thank you so much, Mark. It's such a privilege and a pleasure to be here with you. You and I met more recently with um, the joint venture that Planet Arc has been doing or is doing with uh, Gumtree, and, uh, which I find fascinating. And I'm an ambassador for that joint venture and for Gumtree. What I find fascinating is actually the, the joint venture of you know, these two groups. They're, they're particularly different, but... It's a pretty unusual place for me anyway. Like I'm a, like a full-on hard-nosed capitalist uh, to be talking <laughs> to someone from Planet Arc and, uh, and it's a different place. You know, like well, for me, my perception has been it's, it's a different place. And, uh, but recently my perception has changed. But what I would like to understand is where did you start from and how did you end up at, in this role at Planet Arc? Because it's sort of a big, big leap. Yeah, I've got an interesting story. My background is actually my first career was in the travel industry. So I spent 14 years uh, based in Sydney. I had always wanted to work in travel ever since I was a teenager. But in 2003, I had the opportunity to take a year off and I spent uh, seven months traveling through Central and South America, backpacking and uh, just experiencing the world. I'd done travel before that because of my career, of course, but never on my own and in a backpacking type of mode. 
So I met some amazing people, had some incredible experiences. But then I ended up in Barbados. After that seven months, I, I traveled to the small island state of Barbados. I ended up spending three months there. The first month I uh, enjoyed what you do on a Caribbean island, lots of sun, lots of beaches, lots of um, evenings out. But I felt, felt like after that first month, I needed to do something more. And so after that first month, I found myself volunteering with an organization that did environmental education. And I'd never done anything like this before. I'd been introduced to this organization from a woman I met in Brazil several months earlier. So I went there actually to say hello to the person that she knew um, when she was there. And, and that person no longer worked at the center. But I asked the question, so what do you do here? And I was, you know, they shared what they did. They had school children coming through. They had a garden. I thought this was interesting. And I said, well, do you need some help? And it was those two questions that have led me to be speaking with you here today because if I hadn't have gone to that centre, I wouldn't have been introduced to environmental education. I wouldn't have been introduced to the challenges that sit within small island developing states around environment, and I wouldn't have taken the path that I've taken uh, to get here today representing Planet Ark. So are you saying that you never really thought too much about the environment? How does that connect? I know it's, yeah. it's a disconnect. I, look, I don't, it wasn't something that I was, that was front of mind. Growing up in Australia, you know, we, we, we are blessed with a beautiful country and we, we, you know, I grew up with Keep Australia Beautiful um, and all of those things, you know, we, we grew up with recycling, but it wasn't, it wasn't on my list of, of passions. It wasn't something that I saw myself working in. I think that year that I took off and found myself in amazing, you know, such diverse uh, environments, you know, going to the salt plains in, in Bolivia, um, going to the Amazon, having the pleasure of, of sitting in Machu Picchu, going to, right down to Ushuaia where all the boats go off to Antarctica, such incredible diverse environments. And I really think that that plus the people I was meeting along the way and being immersed in this extremely historical range of cultures it really just opened my eyes up to things that I hadn't really thought of before. I don't really know too many people have done that. I'm guessing you weren't like uh, 19 or 20 when you took your no. uh, year <laughs> off. I get it that someone says, okay, I'm going to go to South America. Got it. But then all of a sudden you start doing all this uh, quite unusual moves. You know? Can I ask you something? I mean, I choose not to answer this, but like it's a, just a, a feeling I have. When people do something like this after being at a travel agency for a number of years and assuming the travel agency wasn't going to go broke, sometimes people are either um, bored shitless in their life and they decide to take these seven-month periods off or something's happened in their personal life, they're running away from it um, or they're running to something. <laughs> yeah, look, I think it was a combination. I had always wanted to take a year off and go and work somewhere else in the world for two years. I'd always wanted to do that since I was a teenager. Um, the circumstances arose that, yes, there was a significant event in my life um, that provided me with both the time and the finances to be able to, to take this journey. You know, I had a business at the time. At the end of that 14 years, I'd developed a, a consulting um, small business that I was supporting uh, travel agency owners. But it was a case of if I don't do this now, it's not going to happen. You know, there were many times I was reflecting on this over the weekend, actually, that I was just thought to myself, what am I doing? I should go home. This is ridiculous. You know, I'm at this point in my life where I should be doing other things. 
but you know reverse charge calls as they were back in the day mm-hmm. um i had some beautiful friends and wonderful family on the end of those calls saying look you can come home anytime that's absolutely sure you can come home anytime but why not just keep going for a bit longer and see how you go and those words were just invaluable because i did keep pushing myself and i did keep just on the road i guess it was just i don't know curiosity, interest, resilience, meeting wonderful people and just wanting to explore. Is there a common culture that you found that was particularly enriching that sort of kept you there in a gravity sense? There's a really strong sense of community in those cultures, which I feel like we um, we still have a sense of community um, and I think probably COVID has kind of revealed some of that, but I feel like we're quite a bit more disjointed than what um, communities in Central and South America have. There's, there's more of a connection. And I think the other thing is that the communities that I was working with, particularly not working with, travelling um, around, is they have a deep connection to the environment. Um, and I don't think I realised that until much later, the way that the crops are planted. They have a very strong appreciation of, you know, working with the planetary movements when it comes to agriculture. So there's just a really strong appreciation of what the environment can offer. Yeah, that's interesting that because I think we're disconnected here in the cities for sure. Pretty much everything you want is available all year round. You can get our oranges in the middle of summer. Yeah. And you don't have appreciation of seasons. Like one of the things I always found fascinating is that um my father's an old Greek fellow and you know we're, we're pretty connected and uh, I was at his place. He lives in Sydney, but it was time to plant. Um, garlic and he reminded me the best time to plant garlic is on the uh, winter solstice you should plant it on the 21st of june or thereabouts and harvest it on the 20 odd of december the summer solstice you know and it's a, a global thing you plant garlic in the on the shortest day of the year for whatever the reason is i'm sure this has been something's been going for thousands of years but it's something not, I would never have heard of. I, I, I'm not likely to come across that, you know, unless I go and talk to my father or, like you, travel. So these things have a big influence on us. Yeah. Just to sort of finish off that Barbados story, after those two months of, of volunteering, um, I left and, and got the, the call from the or an email from the chairman to ask if I would come back for a two-year contract. And so at the time I sort of tossed up whether I continue with working, I was looking for work in the UK by this stage. It was about six weeks after I left Barbados. And I got this opportunity to go back and I thought, well, you know what, I think I'm going to do that. And so I chose to go back again with a few universal interjections to um, send me that direction. And so I went back for two years, but the two years ended up being eight years. Wow. The organisation that I volunteered with for those couple of months, I ended up running it by the time I had left. So those eight years were really instrumental in deciding on what were the next steps. And so leaving Barbados in 2012, I first chose to do a master's degree and that was in development practice with a a focus on environmental management as sort of a a secondary topic. Were you back in Australia? Yes, yeah, yeah, I came back to Australia to do that. And so once I'd finished the Masters, I, I had a very different perspective on the concept of colonialism. You know, I don't think we really, I don't remember that from school, um, but certainly the impact of, of, you know, colonialism on global trade, you know, sort of ownership, if you will, of, of countries um, like Barbados where I was living for all those years. 
it really provided the theoretical lens that I was able to review my experiences in a very different way. I came out of that thinking, okay, well, now I've got this theoretical lens. I've got all these years of experience in Barbados. I want to do something more. And so the, ne the next thing that I did was actually to design my own research program, um, which was to take an, a, an assessment that I did in my master's, which was design a survey. I chose to design a sort of a mock survey on some of the um, programs that I, Im that I implemented in Barbados. And uh, I decided that I would take that survey and actually go back to Barbados, find some funding. So I got my own funding to go back uh, and complete this research project. And it was from that experience that um, a very kind academic, um, wasn't a formal supervisor, but she agreed to, to guide me on that, on that private uh, research project. She said, Nicole, why aren't you doing this as a PhD again? Remind me. And so she was the one who actually encouraged me to consider that I was clever enough. The focus of the PhD was plastic food and beverage packaging material. And I was interested in mapping the value chain of those materials going into and how they work their way through small island developing states. So I took the previous sort of 10 years or 12 years of experience that I had generated and through those experiences recognised the challenges that exist in small island developing states, particularly around waste, and applied that to I guess understand what small island developing states could actually do to change the value chain that they are participating in and whether or not there could be innovations that could be adopted both from the point of manufacturer or brand owner all the way through the chain to small island state, the consumers, you know, in the shopping centre, in the supermarkets, um, buying their products, and then what happens to it post-consumption. So the end result is some recommendations for policymakers in small island developing states, but also for brand owners uh, to reconsider their product choices for all markets, not just their most populous markets. I think as business owners, and it doesn't affect my business as such because, you know, we sell money effectively, so there's no packaging at all. But nonetheless, I think there's a lot of structural change occurring in the world and in global economies. I think in order to survive, take advantage of opportunities that might be going to present themselves in the future. Therefore, as a business owner, you need to think about these things for the future, about future-proofing your business. You need to think about these concepts as opposed to just saying, which probably I was guilty of and one of the people in that category, oh, that's just quirky. You know, like I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. I don't know whether I'm because I'm getting older or what. I'm just becoming much more aware <laughs> of, you know, waste, much more aware of waste. Like in everything I do, everything I acquire, everything I buy, I get so aggravated when I see – loads and loads of plastic, which is like thick and I, I got to carve through it to get it open and like, and I just say, well, why are they doing this? So uh, to some extent, I think what people like Nicole are doing uh, is more a reflection of how society is changing. Yeah, I would agree, Mark. Nothing, uh, you know, the, the point of doing a PhD is you need to contribute something novel to what exists already. And I certainly did that. But the, the thing is that the novelty of, of my research and, and certainly probably many other PhDs is built on the experiences of academic research that has come before or industry research that has come before. The social change in how we consume, particularly in the last sort of 70 years, I guess, since like the 1950s, is a phenomenal shift. And that has been driven predominantly by convenience. It's been driven by women entering the workforce, global trade, 
there are so many factors as to why I even, you know, chose that topic. Why is plastic even a, a consideration in small island developing states? It's because the world, the social world, the economic world has changed. Now that we're recognising that, though, this is where the, the shifts are starting to occur and I feel like that's where the excitement is. You know, it's about recognising that what has been done hasn't all been good. We need to start recognising where those those innovations, those shifts can happen, not just because we want to turn over more money, but because there's actually a finite limit to what, to the way that we're operating. I mean, I think that takes us right into that the whole concept of economies and the concept of what a linear economy is. Not old school yet, but it's sort of, <laughs> it is old school, if you know what I mean. It's evolving into something else. But I think our starting point's got to be, what is the linear economy? So the linear economy is how we've always done things, essentially. If you've ever heard the words take, make, waste, we take resources from the planet, we make products from those resources, which we just put on shelves, we then use the products and then we waste them. So it's take, make, use, dispose in a very straight line without any consideration of what sort of environmental impacts are being made. It's something that has been like that since the Industrial Revolution. We extract around 100 billion tonnes of material from the earth each year and we only recover less than 10% of that to send back into the economy. So it's a very, very straight-lined approach from digging a hole in the ground to putting stuff back in a hole in the ground at the end of life. And what you put back is not what you took out either. I see it as extraordinarily inefficient because we're taking out more than we need to take out. We are wasting a whole lot at the end of the chain. Therefore, we're extracting more than we need to and we're wasting more than we need to because we're not thinking about how the bit in the middle, we're not working out how to make it sustainable. We're, we're just making it transactional. Yeah. And business and economics are all about efficiencies. And what's amazing for me is that um, we haven't, as a, we're so, so advanced and so sophisticated in the way we think and our technology is so good and, you know, Etc. We can fly to the moon, what have you, and uh, yet we can't. We're not very sophisticated in our thinking of how we can become more efficient. Part of the reason why it is it is inefficient is because we price the extraction of materials. So mining obviously is a massive industry. We put heavy prices on that. There's there's heaps of processing that goes into mining to take it from something that's dug out of the ground into our phones, for example, with electronics. There's a great focus on that end of the, of the spectrum, but the inefficiencies occur all the way along, particularly at end of life. If aluminium cans, for example, are not recycled, all those inputs that have been invested from the point of just actually digging the bauxite out of the ground all the way to that can being sent into a landfill has just been wasted. And I also find it interesting that we put so much focus on extracting, on mining raw materials, but yet mining materials post-consumption doesn't attract the same level of attention and investment. Why not? You know, they're still valuable materials. You've got gold, you've got precious metals that sit in particularly electronics. Why aren't we considering that if we've got such an inefficient process to get from extraction to post-use? Why can't we invest in that post-use environment? It's a good question. And I think more economists and more um, engineers or designers, electrical engineers, mechanical engineers, the people who get involved in the design process of a product, I don't want to greenwash it, okay? I'm just not interested in greenwashing this. Um, 
because people won't believe me for a start, but so I'm not. <laughs> but I, but for, as as an economic hardline economic person, I just see the inefficiencies of this are so stark that it's insurmountable. You cannot not get over the inefficiencies. Like it's we've got to do something about it. And by the way, we clean the joint up as well. How did you get to Planet Ark? Um, I've only been with Planet Ark since May, uh, so three yep. three and a bit months. Uh, but my journey to here, I feel, is the result of really sort of the last 16 years. Um, being able to observe and participate in an economy that was quite challenged for everything was imported. So living in Barbados for those eight years, the country prominently exists on imported products. Um, so I started to become much more aware of, of the impact that made for both local manufacturing to jobs, uh, recognising that physically there's not enough land space to provide for all of the, the materials that are needed in a, in a modern, convenient lifestyle. And so that started the journey of, of asking these questions. But my experience of that environmental education was the overarching theme while I was in Barbados. So essentially what we were doing there is a very sort of smaller version, I guess, of what Planet Ark does on a much bigger scale in Australia. So there were some similarities there. But beyond that, I've, I've also worked in uh, waste management as a consultant in other countries, in Bangladesh, in Vanuatu. I've also worked in tourism, sustainable tourism, in my later life. So that combined suite of knowledge and particularly understanding the value chain as I have done with my PhD I understand the challenges of trying to transition to a circular economy and where the opportunities might be to interject with a circular economy in Australia. So, for example, the challenges that I found in my PhD were broadly around scale and logistics. So economies of scale are very, very small in, in island states, and particularly when you've got archipelagos, you've got people that are living in, um, you know, quite remote areas uh, and logistics. So trying to get products in, trying to get products around and post-consumption, how to get potential uh, resources, waste material or secondary materials back into a, a hub where you can build scale. These were two really important elements. When I finished the PhD and I reflected on the journey that I had just undertaken, I started to realise that I saw where the circular economy is most challenged. And then I started to realise, well, this happens in Australia. We've got rural and remote areas in Australia that have small scale, that have logistics challenges. There were opportunities to interject to improve the circular economy here in Australia. And I saw this role at Planet Arc and I thought, yeah, that aligns with where I'm going. You know, I've realised that my purpose in life my why, um, following on from, from your experiences as well, Mark, is to create change in how we generate and manage resources. And so I was looking for an organisation that could align with my life purpose and the Planet Arc offer was that. And what we're talking about here is a circular economy, which is the evolved economy from where we started off, what we talked about earlier, the linear economy. So it's the next version, linear economy, um, duration number 20. Yeah, <laughs> yeah whatever. <laughs> it's a long, long way from where the linear economy is. Yeah. But but nonetheless, it's, it is part of the evolution. It's not like we hate the linear economy. We know we, I think what we all got to do is recognise there isn't a linear economy and it probably exists in some places, but now we're sophisticated enough to actually go to the circular economy and the circular economy is a new economy, which makes a lot more sense. 
Um, and when I come back from the break, I actually want you to really break down what the circular economy is. You and I sort of understand it. You are, you much more than I. And, and especially in terms of, Nicole, what they should be thinking of in terms of their own businesses and future-proofing their businesses. That's really important. So we'll go to the break and we'll come straight back. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Now I'm here with uh, Nicole Garofano. Like, what is a circular economy? So, a circular economy is something that transforms that linear economy that we were talking about earlier. It is much more resource oriented. It's not just about putting products on the market, it's actually about designing products that can actually move throughout a circle and come back in. So it is about identifying where we can move away from designing products just to put onto a shelf to designing products that could potentially be deconstructed, that could be reused, that could be recycled if they need to be and have those materials in that product holding their value at the highest possible level. So essentially keeping products in use for longer. There's three principles that underpin the circular economy. And the first one is what you were speaking about earlier, which is designing out waste and pollution. So this is where designers, engineers, uh, people that are making decisions about what a brand looks like on a shelf or what products to put on the market, they can play a really pivotal role in how we can have products that can come back into the economy, either in, as, as a whole in a reuse model or uh, to be used in the, is the sum of its parts, either through deconstruction or through recycling. So principle one is really important, designing out waste and pollution. Principle number two is keeping those materials in use for longer and at their highest value. That's really what we kind of look at where recycling kind of fits in, where if we produce packaging, for example, often people would consider putting the packaging in the yellow top bin for recycling. And so that is a lower ranked option. If you like, recycling is one of the last options that we could consider. But if we can consider keeping materials like what happens on Gumtree, uh, reusing products in use for longer, that's principle two. And then the third principle is about regenerating natural systems. And so in the course of designing products, we should be considering the natural systems that enable us to put those products on the shelf. 
So if we can consider our water consumption in the design of products and how they're managed at end of life, if we can use renewable energy to make those products, if we can consider agricultural crops to be using less hazardous chemicals in their production, that's all about regenerating natural systems. So these are sort of the three core principles that underpin the circular economy. How hard is it to change the status quo? Because like the status quo largely is controlled by mining giants who don't like retooling their business. Or if we're talking about plastic manufacturers who have incredible political influence, and I know some, for example, here right here in Australia, who actually work on their political influence. And it's an easy thing to do working on political influence. You just make sure you support the party that's going to win the election and you, mm-hmm. the best way to support them is through you know, financial ways. Um, how hard is it for you to move the dial, because right now, you know, we've got plastic, as you said, yellow bins, but that's the lowest common denominator. You know, we all think we're being environmentally um, responsible because we put our plastic and cardboard into the, yep. you know, the yellow lid. Um, but that's really the, the, the smallest contribution we can make. Um, yep. How hard is it to, to turn the dial properly? What are the friction points? Well, I think uh, consumers are actually turning the dial for us. Um, as much as we feel that, that our one purchase decision doesn't make a difference when you've got, you know, 7.8 billion people on the planet. Um, obviously, we are, we're at different levels of development. But when you have a significant number of people calling out unsustainable practices of businesses, that can drive significant change with very significant brand owners. One small example is a major soft drink brand that has changed the colour of their soft drinks from green to clear because consumers were calling out that green plastic is not as easily recyclable as clear plastic. And so with consumers becoming much more aware of supply chains and what products are being put out into the market, that's just one small example of how major brands are actually rethinking their products and and rethinking how they present themselves to the market. But Nicole, is it like um, getting trolled on Twitter and uh, like, I mean, how does that consumer um, movement make this organisation change from green plastic bottles to clear plastic bottles? Do they have to be embarrassed into it or at their management level do they sit down themselves and start to say, you know what, wouldn't it be a good idea um, to get rid of green bottles and uh, do clear bottles? Where does it start and end? I don't work for them, so I'm only making assumptions from the outside in. Um, But I would say it's more from the pressure that is being applied from the market. Consumers have a very strong voice and those consumers, yep, social media has certainly changed how we interact with our brands and with our product owners. Things like the Blue Planet Effect, which is actually a term that was coined from Sir David Attenborough's uh, BBC Blue Planet show, puts a spotlight on the impacts to our environment from uh, particularly plastic ending up in marine environments particularly. And so this combined uh, attention that has been placed on products is really shifting the bar. Yes, there are some who are not necessarily making those shifts, but when they're not, their consumers are calling them out on it. And it's, and it's really exciting to see. All of a sudden, it seems like the tide is turning, you know, from going back to the 1950s when, when plastic became commercially viable and it was it was sold as as the housewife's solution to having to be behind the kitchen sink washing up all the dishes every night you know just use a disposable plate i remember the seeing a cover of an of american magazine that that showed a 1950s woman 
now being able to use plastic plates and just throw them in the bin rather than having to stand behind the kitchen sink. And so this was storytelling driven by the market that they wanted to put their products on the market. Well, now it's storytelling driven by the consumer because they want to see a change in how they're consuming. And what's Planet Arc's role then? How do they see themselves? So particularly in in the case of the circular economy, we see ourselves as facilitating the transition to a circular economy. So Planet Arc's been around for almost 30 years, 30 years next year. And for much of that time, we have been focused on providing or uh, encouraging um, the public to get involved in activities that reduce their environmental footprint. And so those have been, you know, we have Recycling Near You is our website platform that helps people understand where they can recycle. We have National Recycling Week. We've had a number of uh, product stewardship schemes over the years. We've mostly been dealing with the public in order to create that change. What we recognise with the circular economy is that uh, like the market has shifted, we are also shifting to be engaging much more with uh, with industry, with private sector, but also with uh, levels of government, so local governments particularly, because they are procuring products on a daily basis, particularly governments are the largest consumers in the country. And so it's working with industry to support them in making those design choices around what products they're putting on the market, working with end-of-life processes to look at how we can support them to bring their stories to the table, you know, to reveal their challenges but also see the opportunities. And so it's much more of a shift for Planet Arc to still supporting and educating the consumer, certainly through our Gumtree partnership, you know, our reuse platform. Reuse is is a really core part of the circular economy. But it's more around how can we make that shift at the front end rather than waiting until we get to that end-of-life decision, post-consumption, yellow bin scenario. Are you finding, though, that, um, say, for example, uh, better design when it comes to the circular economy, are other organisations approaching you or do you still have to push it way in there? At the moment, it's a mix of both. Australia's really relatively new in this in this circular economy discussion. So I feel like the organisations who are coming to us are seeing what's happening overseas, so particularly in Europe where the circular economy is really gaining traction. They've, they've been working on this for most of the decade, I would say. And so those organisations with footprints in Europe where um, Australia might be a regional office, those folks are, are finding their way through. But the ones that are more Australian grown, if you like, we're sort of going to them more so, I would say. Do they open the door? Are they happy to see you or...? I mean, well, are, yes. are you experiencing friction? Like, There's a sense in, for some organisations that, you know, this is just another thing, we don't have to worry about this, we'll just carry on business as usual. Uh, but I do feel like the pressure of realising, again, that global pressure, that societal pressure, is at least having them have the conversation. It's not just closing the door straight in the face to say, no, I'm not interested. I think there is more just start to rethink supply chains. And I think COVID has actually helped that because the risk to supply chain has just been phenomenal in the last 18 months, particularly in that first six months where products just weren't, they just weren't being traded. Products just couldn't get out. Uh, global trade came to a, didn't come to a halt, but it was severely impacted. And I feel like that has raised the profile of potential risk And that is where if you're considering your business from a circular economy perspective, that you're actually 
really allowing time, which I know is very difficult for small business owners particularly, but you're really allowing time to look at where are the risk points in my supply chain. And if you only do it because of risk, let's look at where you can design products to have an extended life, potentially provide a service, a repair service as part of your offering, for example. Look at where you could replace imported products to locally supplied products. I know that there's always a cost consideration, but it's really, it's having those conversations to just to start to think. And I think that's the promising part for us, that that most organisations are at least willing to have that conversation. And one of the notions that um, I thought was quite appealing, as opposed to like, as I said, greenwashing this process and trying to appear as an environmentally um, aware person, which by the way, I am environmentally aware, but <laughs> yeah, I got I'm very careful not to try and pitch myself as somebody like that because mm. that's greenwashing. And then so many people are doing it like it's nauseating, to be honest with you. One of the things that I found very appealing, the notion I found very appealing in relation to the circular economy, and as you say, it's been going on overseas for a long time, is that one thing we should all aspire to is to be to pick a proxy that's close to perfection in terms of how an economy works. And the most obvious one is to me is nature. Mm-hmm. You know, like a, an animal's born, uh, eats the grass and uh, animal dies and it sort of disintegrates into the, into the soil and produces nitrogen and the grass regrows and the carbon from the animal goes back into the, into the soil, et cetera. That's a perfect circular economy. Yeah. And that makes sense. And that's not greenwashing. That's not environmental anything. It's just smart. It's factual. That's what happens. Yeah. yeah. In nature, there's no such thing as waste. Mm. And it's very, very clever. It's, it's a very clever analogy that you raise. And, mm. um, and I think the more awareness of that to me would be really good. And I think the next one is the economic effects. Like if consumers start to demand a product differently designed – more sustainably designed, however sustainable, could be a number of reasons, reusable parts, less plastic, whatever it is, then the producers of the products, they're going to have to get their act together, otherwise they're going to lose market share. Yes, yeah. Do you guys build up these scenarios whereby um, you can sort of see a new trend in a particular product line that you take to producers of these products and start to say, hey, listen, these, this is the experience going on in some, some other place in the world. Consumers are flocking to, the, to this type of product. Maybe you need to start to think about re-engineering. Yeah, I mean, we, we do have a number of case studies and we, we do offer those to anyone who's interested. I mean, it's, it's not something, uh, you know, you can take a horse to water but you can't make it drink. Um, so we've got lots of resources that, that those who are interested can, can learn from. You know, if if we look at that consumer model, calling on the the Gumtree report that that we were launching a couple of months ago, people that they surveyed showed that eighty one percent of the Australians who participated in that survey are already willing to to change the way that they consume goods to be more environmentally friendly than they were ten years ago. So eighty one percent. I mean, that that's a phenomenal number. People are actually tuning into the stories of products. And I feel like there is the opportunity to learn from the likes of the Netherlands, for example. I would say the Netherlands is probably the global leader when it comes to circular economy. They've had a national circular economy strategy since 2016. Even they admit that they they haven't achieved everything that they would like to have achieved. And if, if we have to go elsewhere to learn, then then that's the way we do it. We have to recognise that we can't pick up what's there and just drop it straight into Australia. There are some localization needs that are required. 
But it's really about how can we, like my PhD, how can you learn from those that have gone before you and be a first mover in the Australian context? And that's what you really are at this stage because we're still in that very early phase of, of transitioning to this circular economy. Now, I would say to our small business community who's listening to this, maybe you can't really influence what you put on your shelves. Maybe you can't because, you know, you're not making enough money to be able to indulge yourself that you can't put on the shelf some things that you just need to sell and make a margin so you can pay your rent, especially at the moment. I, I get it. But I'd also say to you, keep pace with this. Keep in yeah. touch with what we are talking about here because at some stage there may well be a switch and you don't want to get caught um, unawares. You don't want to get caught and, and say, oh, wow, I never thought about that. And this is about um, predicting your market mm -hmm. and you've got to understand what the discussion's about. That's why I've asked Nicole to come on today to give you an understanding of what the discussion is on a global basis, on a, on a, on a huge macro basis, and that over time, for me, the circular economy over time will become the discussion as opposed to linear economy. It will become that way because it's smarter, it makes sense, it's logical in every aspect, not just uh, from an environmental point of view, but from every aspect, efficiencies, and it's just smarter. And I think over time you're going to find the younger kids who are at universities um, who are coming out as engineers or, you know, industrial designers, mechanical designers, as I said before, and I think we're going to get in the next 10 years graduates who will then be in their, you know, 30s and 40s who have done masters and PhDs who are going to start saying, you know what, when I was at university um, I heard Nicole talk about this <laughs> or I watched something on Planet Ark yeah. and they're going to start designing this in. But nonetheless, if you're in small business and you're trying to build a sustainable business, you've got to get onto this. This is really important. And first and foremost, understand the evolution from the linear economy to the circular economy. I don't know if we've got much more time to go much further into the circular economy, Nicole, but I always give everyone an opportunity because I've been asking all the questions ask, to ask me a question. Not that I probably have much expertise, to be frank with you, in your area, but maybe you've got a question for me. I actually do have a question, and it's not so much in, in relation to the circular economy. It's actually just a bit more about your journey. Um, so as I, as I mentioned, in full transparency, I've just finished reading your book, Rise, which has been very interesting and enlightening. It really showed that your, your guts, your tenacity, um, your resilience, and, and also how you've reflected over the years, I thought was, was really interesting as well for me. Um, and so I'm obviously very grateful to be here and, and speaking to you and have my journey over the last number of decades. But Reflecting on the decision to uproot my life, essentially, you know, those sort of almost 20 years ago, I feel that reflection is such a valuable tool. And I wonder from, from all the words in your book and from the many words that you've spoken over the years in various fora, if you could go back to your 25-year-old self, what would be the mm -hmm. one piece of advice that you would give 25-year-old Mark Burris? Okay, that's a good question. Um, Relax. Don't be in a hurry. Yeah. Don't be in a hurry. Don't think you're intellectually superior to everybody around you and that you know and understand things better than everybody else because you don't. Don't undermine experience relative to academic learnings. You know, because I grew up in an environment where not that many people had the same academic um, qualifications I had, but a lot of them had a lot of experience. And um, uh, I undermine that, their experience. Mm. that's sort of intellectual arrogance and um, be much more considerate of everything that is in front of you. 
everyone that is in front of you. And uh, ultimately, you'll be much more judicious in your decisions. So that's probably what I would say to myself when I was 25. And then I'd say to myself, and if you don't listen to yourself, Mark, give yourself an uppercut because because <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 that might be the only thing you get that's going to actually stop you from doing what you're doing. Yeah, when I was 25, I, I was all those things. Um, mm-hmm. But over time, I've, I wouldn't say I'm mellow, but I'd be, I've thought things through a lot more. And I've seen a lot more ups and downs, plenty of downs, and uh, I've learned how to uh, be more considerate of everything around me, which is, look, I would never considered, but look, at 25, environment was not a, th- a thought. And we go, that's 45, <laughs> 40 years ago, okay, yeah. for me. But these things are all now really important to me, and not just in the context of protecting the planet as, as a term, but more just the overall efficiency of everything we do yeah, in our life. It just makes sense. It just makes sense to me. And, uh, and I would never have thought that in the past because I would have gone, no, 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 it's, uh, it's about making a profit and getting things out the door because people want to buy it. I would never have thought of these concepts mm. that I'm thinking about with you. And, uh, and even like, you know, my, the home loan business, um, which is my, you know, my major undertaking these days, always has been, that was always about making a buck for me as opposed to help people get up, getting people into a home, something they dream about. I mean, and that's more important than making a buck because as soon as you do that, you make a buck. And that's what we talk about, our why or our purpose. That wasn't something I started thinking about until I was 40. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because I was an, I, 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 cause I approached everything from an academic point of view. What's the algorithm? What are the inputs? And what's the output? Yeah. Got to have a margin in there. That's all I ever thought about. That's all very good, but that doesn't achieve anything at the end of the day unless you put someone into a home and you've got to convince them that they should deal with you. Yeah. And they're not going to deal with you unless – they know you're thinking the way they're thinking, just like what you're doing now um, mm-hmm. and, and why I resonated with the partnership between yourselves and Gumtree and why I agreed to do this with Gumtree when they approached me. I mean, Gumtree, I had to think about this, you know, like when Gumtree put it to me because it's not something I would ordinarily do. But I actually believe in this circular economy. I think it's real. I think it makes sense and it has all, a whole lot of good outcomes as well, but it just makes sense. It's yeah. smart. Yeah. And there is an intellect around. I say to everybody who's listening to this today, think about what Nicole is talking about, a circular economy being an evolution of the original linear economy, why we are now going into this territory. Then please engage and talk to other people about it. It's really important. Thanks very much, Nicole. That was awesome. Thank you so much, Mark. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for listening to The Mentor. Audio and production is by Jess Morley and production assistants, Jonathan Leondis. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.